The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. We're so glad you're here. Um, I think these two guys and what they talked about being a dad and the struggles with fatherhood, they're very real. Uh, it has been said in the, in the past that the um, whole fabric of society is really found in the warp and woof of the family. And I think the family, not only in America, but around the world, has taken a number of very significant shots across the bow. It's been extremely difficult. And I, I think a lot of the challenges that we're facing, uh, we, we need to get back to the Word of God. For, for us, the answer to the dilemma is found in, in the very Word of God. Uh, this morning, what I'm going to do is look at a passage, and, and the passage isn't specifically on motherhood or fatherhood or even the family. It goes back all the way to the root of the soul, and I think it's a passage that not only will it impact us if we're a father, and, and I pray that it will, and hopefully it will, and I'll give some applications that direction, but if you're a mother, if you're single, if you're married, if you've never been married, if you're um, a very young child or if you're an older adult, it absolutely will impact everybody's life. And it is a psalm of ascent. Well, we looked at a psalm of ascent for Mother's Day, and I thought, well, this will be great. We'll do a, sort of a one-two punch. And so for Father's Day, we're going to look at a psalm of ascent. And I know many of you are sitting there, you're wondering, what on earth is a psalm of ascent? Well, it was during Israel, there were these three opportunities throughout the year where everybody would return to Israel. It was a pilgrimage back to Israel, whether it be Passover or Pentecost or Tabernacles. And you would never descend to Jerusalem. You would always ascend to Jerusalem. And as the people traveled back to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. They were national holidays, so to speak. So, and we're familiar with a lot of songs that we sing for national holidays. And if I were to, to name a song, you could probably give me the holiday. Let's just try it. Up from the grave he arose. Easter, good. O little town of Bethlehem. Christmas, great. So you've got the picture. In the same way with these Psalms of Ascent, you could recite one of these Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 to 134, and as you return to Jerusalem, going up to Jerusalem, or as the Levitical choir would ascend the 15 steps up to the, to the temple, they would sing these Psalms. Lots of different topics. Psalms of deliverance and shelter and protection and blessing. We looked at the family, Psalm 127 on Mother's Day, provision, mercy. We're going to look at one today that deals with the soul. I've called it cure for the cancer of the soul. If we can deal with this one, then it is the answer for fatherhood or for, for motherhood or for singleness. It is the answer uh, for all of us. So let me tell you how David is going to communicate this psalm to us. It's like he had cancer. When, when you think of a disease that just sort of eats you away from the inside out, you, most of us would think of cancer. And it's very destructive, very deadly, and not everybody survives it. Well, David at this point has gotten through the cancer, and he is, you know, he's had his five-year checkup, and he, and he looks good. He looks good. So he's looking back 
in the context and he's thanking God for how he is now, but as he relates how he is now, he's uncovering what the effects of cancer were in his life. What was the cause of it? So in verse 1, we have a lot of the cause. And now in, when we get to verse 2, he understands that the cancer is in remission and he is now experiencing the freedom and uh, no longer under the effects of cancer and the freedom that he has, but he still needs to be on guard against it. And then the third verse is really his appeal to all of us to run after the cure. Run for the cure, the hope that we can have in God. So that's where we're sort of going. It sort of helped me to put it in a more contemporary context to understand because he looks backwards at what he had struggled with. Let's look at the cancer of the war for our soul. And that's, again, the vantage point is from the all-clear signal. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Now, again, that, that's the cure. So at the, what he was struggling, what was eating away his soul was that his heart was lifted up. His eyes were raised too high. And he did occupy himself with the things too great and too marvelous for him. That's where he was. That's what caused the cancer. Now he says, my heart's not proud. Oh, Lord, my eyes are not haughty or no longer haughty. I don't concern myself anymore with the great matters or things that are too wonderful for me. So it reveals what will destroy the soul. Proud hearts lead to haughty eyes. Haughty eyes lead to hurtful hands. Proud hearts will cause you to look away from God. This is what happened to, to, to David. He looked away from God, and when you begin to look away from God, you look away from Him, and you look down on people. And it impacts the soul, attitude, action of everybody's life. I don't occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. But David used to be so consumed in himself that he would find himself arguing with God. He would find himself trying to box God in. Or he would, try to find, he would find himself coming to God's defense, arguing back and forth. Now, he's not talking about reflecting on aspirations that come from God. The cancer of the soul is the opposite of his conclusion in verse 3. It's hoping in self. It's depending on self. It's scrutinizing and organizing and strategizing internally and leaving God out of the picture or arguing with him when things don't go according to your plan. He says, I don't occupy myself anymore. I don't occupy myself with the things too great, too, too marvelous. And he uses this word, pela, too, too wonderful. I, no longer do I consume myself with things that are far too beyond me that I can no longer understand. It would be like in, in Romans, um, Romans chapter 9. How, how in the world can the pot argue with the potter? And that's what he was consumed in. I don't consume myself anymore with, with things that are far too beyond me 
I'm not trying to explain God away anymore. Boxing him in. Creating my own paradigm for what I think needs to take place and then put God's stamp of approval on my plan. I'm done with that. I'm freed from that. It's the same, same tension that Job felt when Job went through all of the horrible physical things and the loss of his family, about every deleterious event that could possibly take place in a person's life happened to Job. And Job argued with God and argued with God and argued with God, and it uses the word, it's, it's beyond me. God is just, it's too pela, marvelous, too, too incredibly far beyond me to be able to put it together. So he goes through the book, and at the end of the book, he's still arguing with God. And so finally, at the end of Job, God says, Job, where were you? Can you, Job, explain this and explain this and explain this and explain this? No, you can't, because they're too pela. They're too marvelous. They're far too beyond you and your finiteness. And you, David, with your arrogance and with your pride and with your soul lifted up and with your eyes lifted up, you're trying to box me in your box? He's saying, finally, I'm done with that cancer. It's beyond me. The same words are used of Jesus, the Messiah, the same word was used of David in Psalm 139 when he's trying to describe God. He's trying to describe the omnipresence of God. Is he here? Is he there? It's, it's Pela. Just to try and comprehend God is beyond me. Or in the scriptures when it describes the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9, his name is wonderful, Pela. That's his very name. It's just indescribable. You, you can't put the Messiah in a box and expect to understand. In our community group, we read a book, and in the book it tried to describe the difference between the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. And I would say out of all of our studies, the greatest, not conflict in a negative way, but the greatest discussion and confusion came because we were trying to, let's put Jesus in the box and understand it. Let's systematize the theology about Jesus. And it just caused a lot of confusion. It was, it's just, it's something beyond us. And so David would use that word to describe the omnipresence of God. It's, it's pale, it's just too wonderful. Or, I am fearfully, he would say later in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and pela, wonderfully made. It's beyond me. So he's just coming to a point where he's going to let God be God. I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to let God be sovereign. I'm no longer going to confine God to my own manipulations, my own strategies, my own calculations. And we're going to see in a second the result of being freed from that cancer resulted in incredible peace and joy for his life. We, our entire culture is driven by this. 
where do we find significance? What do we want to do? We try and put ourselves in charge of our own lives. And it results in tremendous confusion. Rather than 1 Corinthians 10, 31, look, whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, I just want it all to be to the glory of God. You know, we come up with our own plans. Well, you know, I want to drive a BMW by the time I'm 22. I want to uh, get married by the time I'm 23. I want to own a home by the time I'm 25. I want to have $50 million in a Swiss account by the time I'm 30. And you know, we have all these, these plans. And believe me, I am not saying there's anything wrong with a BMW. It's a great car. It really is. What I am saying is it's horrendous if you try and make that the drive of your life, the focus of your life, the determining factor of your life. It, it will take the, it'll sap the joy right out of your life. That's the cancer of the idolatry of the, of the soul. Thinking that significance comes through things that we do, things that we calculate, things that we buy, stuff like that. And, and again, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that stuff but it can be incredibly destructive. It was interesting. I just read two, I mean, these two surveys were hot off the press uh, last month. They were, they were done by CNBC and another one done by Luxury Daily. You can imagine why they did it because that's where the income comes from. Um, and they said, for the first time ever, the demographic who would buy luxury items has drastically shifted. They had never seen this before. You know, usually by luxury items, you would call you know, not, not just a car, but you know, a really, really nice car. Uh, not just a house, but a really, really nice house. Not just, you know, luxury items, apparel and jewelry and all that stuff. So it used to be the finger was always put on the baby boomers. That, that used to be the category. But now there's been a dramatic shift. And guess what part of the population is now purchases more luxury items than any other area of the population? It's Mr. and Mrs. Iowa City. The average age in Iowa City is late 20s. It is what we used to call Generation Y. It's now the millennials are the largest purchasers by far of luxury items. In other words, the age of, the beginning age isn't real clear. It's either mid-teens, you know, mid 15 to late teens, somewhere in there to 35. The by far most significant purchasers of luxury items. And it's within this category, too, is the most confusion over identity. Who are we? Uh, whether it be identity of family, identity of marriage, identity of sexuality, even ethnicity. I mean, there's a struggle with who am I in terms of our ethnicity. They all go together. All I'm saying, it all goes together. So David in verse 1 says, you're not going to find this ambition in me anymore. It's not there anymore. My soul is no longer lifted up. My eyes are no longer lifted up. I'm no longer trying to define life by by manipulating God and putting him in my box. I'm not doing that anymore. But we're all schooled there. 
And it can look so many different ways, whether it be through sexual temptations, whether it be success with all of its signatures or statuses or accomplishments. Uh, we're taught all the time that our value and that our worth are wrapped up in things that we do, things that we achieve, things that we buy, you know, trophies and medals and, and all those things. And again, I'm not saying there's something wrong by getting a blue ribbon at a track meet or, or that there's something wrong by buying this kind of car or that kind of car. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. All I'm saying is they cannot be your hope. They can't be your trust. They can't be the longing of your soul. That's what I'm saying. So what's the cure? We need to wean ourselves and quiet our souls. So King David, a man after a home, his, God's heart, says this. That's not me anymore. That's not the point of my life. I've been there. I've suffered with that kind of cancer. I didn't like it. I didn't like what it did to me. So I'm done with that. And I thank God my heart, my hands are no longer in a state of independence and arrogance. So how does he describe himself? I love this next verse. I love this next verse. I have wept over this next verse all last week as I prepared this message. This has been the prayer of my heart that this is me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Think, what is a weaned child? A weaned child is a child that no longer needs its mother's breast. It's a child that's no longer juvenile. It's a child that has grown up, a child that's moved away from the myopic and impulsive desires of self interpreting the world through the views of his or her own eyes versus the eyes of Scripture. You see, when a mother or a dad weans a child, let's just use mom to keep with the imagery, <laughs> when a mother weans a child, the mother has to have the attitude, child, listen, son, listen. It's now time to grow up. This is the way the Bible talks to us. It's time to grow up. I'm not going to listen to your selfish crying anymore. I'm not going to respond to your incessant whimpering and pouting, and I'm not going to yield to your infantile desire. My desire is to help you to begin to grow up. And if you're going to grow up, you've got to start using silverware. You've got to learn to drink out of a cup, and you've got to learn to chew and digest, swallow and digest. You're going to have to learn to, to trust me to provide for you the right foods because I'm no longer going to suckle you. It's time to grow up. And until that kid has grown up, that, that kid is going to cry and whine and fight and complain and scream for its mother's breast. Moms and dads, listen, to, listen, please. And if you're here, Mr. and Mrs. Iowa City, between the age of 15 and 35, what the average American sees is finally making it big or having it all or arriving at the land of critical mass or making a splash or having an, in, ha having an impact 
David calls those things infantile, like a baby in need of a breast. And now, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can become like, as David says, an unweaned child. I, I love verse 2. It says, I've become, or it's, it's the Hebrew word shiva, which means I, I am finally at the point where I am agreeing with God. It means to agree with God. I'm agreeing with God that I am Gamala. I am an unweaned child. I've finally in my life come, into, come to the point of utter dependence upon God, where I'm no longer in pride, elevating myself above God, shoving God in my own box that benefits my definition of Him. I'm an unweaned child. And the result of that is now my soul, rather than struggling with cancer, my soul is, is calmed. My soul is quieted when I finally have got to the point where I agree with God on this matter. Please don't forget, this is the king of Israel. He's the king of Israel, and this is how he feels. Can't even imagine, you know, when you, when you look at the presidents of the United States, when they enter office, when they exit office, you know, black hair, gray hair. You know, just the pressure is just incredible there. And this is the king of Israel. Soul no longer lifted up. Eyes no longer lifted up. I'm no longer trying to shove God in my own little box. It's, it's too wonderful for me. I can't explain it. I'm fine God being sovereign. I'm totally cool with allowing God to be sovereign. Forget my little manipulations and my contraptions and my trying to move this and strategize that and push that lever and jump over that hoop. I'm done with it. And now that I'm done with it, I'm starting to grow up as a weaned child, and the result is calmness and quietness of my heart. But David realizes that those, the possibility of cancer returning is still there. He knows it's still there. Thus the song. And so just like in Romans chapter 7, the struggle of the spirit versus the flesh, just like Galatians chapter 5, they're in battle with each other. He finally challenges us with this commitment for all of us, O Israel. They're all returning. So, O Christian, you, me, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Not, no longer in yourself, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He's saying, all of my identity is going to be in God. It's not in what I do. It's not in what I earn. It's not in what I can achieve. It's not in who I know. I'm a Christian. I'm declared righteous in Jesus Christ, and I'm left here on planet Earth entrusted with the very words of God. And I don't need to accomplish anything in order to be accepted in the Beloved. My identity is found in my relationship with Jesus, and I am living for His glory, period. 
I'm not living any longer. I'm a weaned child. I'm no longer living for everything that the world offers. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, it is from the world. And if in heaven we were to get David and John together and ask them to talk about that verse that the Lord wrote through John, you know, David would say, hey, that's exactly right. Listen to what John says. All John's saying in that verse is, get off the bottle. <laughs> it's time to grow up. Get weaned, he's saying. If we don't, verse 1 really then is a manifestation of the most primitive sin in the Bible. I'll read it to you. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That's the most primitive sin of the Bible. That's what David describes in verse 1. It's a sin of Lucifer. It's just, I don't need God, I've got myself. It's idolatry. It's just the sin of idolatry. That's all it is. And David says, no, no, let's don't go there, Israel. He's saying in verse 3, oh, Israel, hope in Yahweh. That's where we put our hope not in ourselves, Lucifer, but in God, in Yahweh, hope in Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. So I was doing a study on that word hope. It's, it's a word, uh, Yehel. And I'll, I'll tell you, I love Hebrew. I love Hebrew so much more than Greek. It depends if you're left-handed or right-handed. It's just that simple. If you're right-handed, you're probably an engineer, you're a mathematician, you're somebody like that, and you love Greek. But Hebrew is a right, uh, it's a right-brained language. It's extremely picturesque. It, it deals with images and pictures. And so if you're a mathematician, you like Greek. If you're a poet like me, you love Hebrew. So as I look at Yahel, as I look at the word hope, Oh, Israel, hope, hope in Yahweh from this time forth and forevermore. It's saying, oh, oh, Israel, Israel. And as I was studying this word, it's, it's the word linger. Isn't that beautiful? Israel, linger, linger with Yahweh. Linger. That's, that's where you stay. Stay there. Linger with Yahweh. Or, and I like this word even better, it's a more visual word, Israel, dance. Dance with Yahweh. Now this might give away my age, but the first picture that came into my mind, again, picture, I think picture, first picture that came into my mind when I saw that word dance was 1965, Sound of Music, Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews on the patio outside of the party and Julie Andrews in, is in the arms of Christopher Plummer and Christopher Plummer is leading her, leading her, 
leading her, and you just see joy all over the face of Julie Andrews. That is what David is begging us to do. Not to strive, not to surplant, not to box God in and define him the way we want to define him and get mad at him if he doesn't do what we don't want him to do, but to dance, to dance with Yahweh. And in the meantime, as I dance with Yahweh and linger with him and hope in him, I am going to live in this world, but by the grace of God, I will not be of this world. And I'm going to enjoy everything that God has created. I'm going to still love going to the mountains and love going to the lake and love going to the beach and the river and going on walks through the forest. I am going to enjoy that till my heart explodes. And I'm going to enjoy all the things that by His grace He's allowed humankind to invent. I am going to enjoy going to baseball games and driving fast cars. I'm going to enjoy that. And I'm going to enjoy occasionally having a bowl with hot brownie and ice cream on top. But my hope, my trust, my longing, the longing of my soul will be to dance with God from this time forth and forever. Well, I'm going to pray. I'm not done yet, but I am going to pray, and then I want to give you a couple of action steps. Okay? Let me pray. Oh, God, what a powerful song. <sighs> and it ends with hope, to put our hope in Yahweh. And Lord, I know Edward Moat, uh, when he read 1 Timothy 1, at the very end when it says, Jesus Christ, our hope. Lord, you filled his heart and his mind with some visual imagery as well. And may we, Lord, take his imagery to heart as he wrote, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust even the sweetest frame. But, oh God, may I wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock. That's where I want to stand because everything else is just sinking sand. God, help us to stand on Jesus. Help us to glory in the gospel of our Savior, knowing that you paid the mighty price, the total price, that we might be rightly related to you to free us of the cancer of our own sin and to allow us to trust your provision, our Lord, our Savior, who is too wonderful 
for us even to comprehend all the nuances, but we know that he loves us. We know that he died for us and that we are called to put our faith, our trust in Jesus. So thank you for that, that we can dance with you. Lord, may you calm and quiet our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just uh, a few action steps. Number one, wives. Hey, if you see your husbands trying to walk with God and do the right thing, hey, encourage him, encourage him. By me, by me saying that, you know, we need to trust in the Lord, our souls being calm and quieted. Guys, I want to say to you what I am not saying. I can see some people saying, oh, I need a calm and quieted soul, and you're using that as an excuse to be lazy. So I, I am not, please don't read me, I, I am not saying that, that you need to be mediocre or lazy or um, passive. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, God has uniquely given you gifts and skills and abilities. You use them for the glory of God. Sometimes it will require you working night and day. Sometimes, not all the time. But by the grace of God, everything God has given you, use it for His glory. Uh, bring great honor to God. And please don't think that, oh, for me really to please God, I've got to get into ministry. And God has you in a secular field where He can use your gifts and abilities. You are the light in the darkness that God desperately needs. Stay there. Shine that light there. But do it with the right perspective. Do it with the right perspective. Do it with the right drive of your heart. Okay? Uh, let me give you one other challenge here, another action step. And I think, guys, you know, really it comes down to a couple of options we have. We can be weaned and trust in God, or we can be a weenie and trust in ourselves. I mean, those are the two options. In your handout, you have, you have a, um, this thing titled, Are You Weaned and Are You Humbled? It was from Thomas Watson. There are just seven checks of humility as you go through these. This would be great for your community group. If you want to talk about this message, you could go through these seven steps and ask, how are you doing in each one of these? You could do it as a family. You can do it individually. They're great. They're awesome to work through. Are you weaned from self? I won't read all the verses. Are you weaned from self? Are you lost in the wonder of Christ and living for His glory? That's that calmed, quieted soul. It doesn't mean you're inactive. It doesn't mean you're lazy, but your soul, even in tremendous amounts of hard work, your soul can be calmed and quieted. Do you complain about your circumstances and your suffering? That's lifting up your soul against God. That's questioning God. That's, that's the verse one of, of David putting God in his box and getting ticked off at God. Do you, do you do that? Or, or as Mote in the second verse says, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. See, that's, that's the verse that talks about it. His oath, his covenant and blood support me in the, in the whelming flood when every earthly prop gives way. 
He then is all my hope and stay. That's Psalm 131 right there. Do you, fourthly, do you clearly see, this is going to hit you, whether your heart is lifted up, your pride is lifted up, and your eyes are lifted up? Do you clearly see the strengths and virtues of others as well as your own strengths and virtues? No, your own sin. That lets you know if you have cancer or not. If you're constantly talking about yourself, what you do, your accomplishments, you've got cancer. But if, on the other hand, you elevate what God is doing through others and you expose your sin, you might have a real case of godliness. Do you spend much time in prayer? Do you linger? I, I love that hope. Do you linger with God? Do you dance with God? Do you take Christ on His terms, not your own terms? Are you filled with praise and thankfulness, abounding in gratitude to our Lord and Savior? One other quick thing, and the band's going to come out. We're going to close with a song. But just one more opportunity for, for guys. Get in a community group. Go out to the, to the Connect Center. Try and get plugged in. Uh, both these guys up here talked about the need for accountability. We have lots of options. Look at the bulletin. Call the church office. There are a lot of ways that... Uh-oh. You okay? All right. Good. <laughs> um, now, just one other just highlight part for you. We're going to start up in the fall. One of the things, I've had a lot of guys for years and years and years. I love Psalms. I love Proverbs. And that's the basis for me to go to the New Testament and back to the Old Testament is the wisdom literature. That's what helps me in life. I've gone through Psalms and Proverbs Every day for years and years and years, I've had a lot of guys, I used to call it my wisdom walk, I have a lot of guys ask me, how do you do that? So what I'm going to do starting in the fall, actually starting September 20th, Thursday morning, 7.30 to 8.30, I'm going to start going through for 30 weeks, we're going to go through Proverbs 1, Psalm 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. The next Thursday, Proverbs 2, Psalm 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. The next week, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 3, and we're going to do it. We're going to do the whole Psalter and Proverbs for 30 weeks. So maybe that, and then it's four guys. I'm designing it for guys where then we can just pour our hearts out and pray for each other as well. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.